this evening, I want to talk about kind of a hot potato issue. Now, you have to be a little older, maybe, but how many of you have heard someone say before, that's a hot potato? None of you up front have, but let me explain that. Go home tonight, put a uh, baked potato, wrap it in foil, put it in the microwave, uh, put it, you can put it in the microwave for, for a while. No, don't do that. Just put a baked potato in the microwave, let it cook for a while, then get it out and throw it to someone real quick. Because if a hot potato, you're going to get rid of it. It's, it's, uh, it's a kind of a figurative for a, t- a topic that's touchy or that's dangerous. And we're going to talk tonight about the perseverance of the saints. Now, that's a fancy way of saying possibly uh, the once saved, always saved. When you become a Christian, or you're always a Christian. We're concluding tonight a series that we started in the late fall on the doctrine of salvation, about, about how we are saved. And we've looked at uh, what's been a, a recent controversy and probably will continue to be uh, in, in our Southern Baptist Convention and in Christian life here in America, Calvinism, a uh, doctrine by John Calvin, it's understanding of salvation, and then more of a, I would say, a traditional Baptist or a tra- traditional evangelical view of it. If you don't know anything about that, you may not. I, just to sum it up, Calvinism is heavy on the predestination. God has chosen some for heaven, and he has not chosen others for heaven. So it's a really serious topic. Let me give you a little Calvinism joke. This, this is funny. I don't know if this really happened or not. But in a denomination that is uh, strongly Calvinist, predestination, God chooses some for heaven, and he chooses some to not go to heaven, which means if you're not chosen to go to heaven, you're going where? You're going south for eternity. Not good. And this young minister was getting grilled by his ordination council. He's getting ready to be ordained, and they were just grilling him. And it went on for several hours. It was brutal. And finally, one of the older ministers looked at him and said, young man... If it was God's will to cast you into hell for eternity, could you be pleased with that? Think about that. The young man had the greatest answer ever. He wiped his head of his, his brow. He said, sir, at this point, if God decided to send me and this whole committee to hell for eternity, I would be fine with it. We're, we're looking tonight at the last part of what we have defined, or it's been defined as TULIP. If you've been here, this is a quick review. If you haven't, you youth, you can get Josh to go over this with you at some point this weekend when you can't sleep. This will help you sleep. TULIP is the way uh, uh, Calvinist, Calvinism defines salvation. T is total depravity. Depravity means our sinfulness. And a traditional Calvinist view is that we are so sinful, we can't, we can't respond to God. We're dead in our sin. We can't respond. Uh, what we have looked at here is that we would say that we are very sinful, but we can respond. We're not totally depraved. Unconditional election really is the big one. That is that God basically reaches down like tonight with that Powerball winner, you know, they're going to pull out something, that you realize how many people have asked me, would you take the tithe if I won tonight? Quit, quit praying and promising, okay? Yes, we'll take it, but just quit praying and promising. Because so is everybody else in America who's played that. So unconditional election, God basically kind of closed his eyes and he pulls up names that are saved. We Believe, I believe your, your salvation conditional based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Limited atonement's a big one. It says God didn't die for everybody. He only died for the elect. I think Scripture teaches that Jesus died for everybody. Don't you hope he died for you? 
And I, irresistible grace, which means if you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. You can't resist the, God's grace when he calls on you to be saved, you'll be saved. The last one tonight is perseverance of the saints. And interestingly enough, this is one that Calvinists who are Baptists and Calvinists are Baptists who are not Calvinists have agreed on. But what does it mean perseverance of the saints. We're going to use two big scriptures tonight. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10 and Ephesians 1. John 10 and Ephesians 1. I'm going to throw you a curve in a minute and go somewhere in Matthew, but those are the big ones. So let's answer that. What does perseverance of the saints mean? I think it means two primary things. I think from uh, uh, salvation, whether a person was a Calvinist, what they might believe on this, and a non-Calvinist would probably buy into these two things. Uh, What does it mean? Okay, the first thing, it, it means that the truly saved person stays true to the end. Leave that there for a second. What that means is One idea of perseverance of the saints is the person who has genuinely been saved perseveres in their faith to the end. Now, this is really, really important stuff. I mean, this is heaven and hell kind of stuff. Now, I just told you to to find John and Ephesians. I'm going to read this for you. It'll be on the screen. This is from Matthew 10. It says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, he's talking about uh, one or two things here, uh, fall of Jerusalem, and probably certainly the end of times. And he says, and you will be hated for my name's sake. But the one who, read that last part, endures to the end will be saved. I'm using the English Standard Version tonight, if you are wondering what that ESV. Okay, what, what does that mean? What does leave that verse there? What that verse is saying, and one idea of perseverance of the saints is, that if you are truly saved, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be consistent and faithful in your Christian life till Jesus takes you home. That the truly saved person is not perfect, but they're consistent. I think there's a really good merit to this. And I, in fact, I believe this with all my heart. In, in Mark chapter 4, we're not going to look at it when it talks about the soils and the seed falling on the soil. A lot of scholars believe he's talking about this same concept here. You see, Baptists, and to some degree, have rightly been criticized for saying once saved, always saved. And people think that that can mean I get a, a, ticket, a free ticket out of hell card, and then I can go live as I want. Listen, if Christ is in you, you can't live as you want and be happy. And and this idea here, I think, is so good that it's saying whether you came down for when you were eight or you were 80, that Christ doesn't make you perfect, but he makes a lasting difference in your life. This is the way you can tell if you're saved or not. And the person who says a prayer, listen, I'm all for praying and asking Christ in your heart if you mean it. But just saying a prayer doesn't save you. Same words after a preacher doesn't save you. Well, I got baptized. I got sprinkled. That doesn't save you. Well, I joined the church. That doesn't save you. I believe in Jesus. So does the devil. That in itself, by itself, doesn't save you. A faith commitment to Jesus Christ saves you. Worry about yourself. If you see in your life, hey, I made a decision at some point, but through the years, and you're here tonight, 
that's awesome. So I'm not as worried about you as I do maybe a big crowd on Sundays. But you make a decision, and then you have no interest in God or the Bible or praying or tithing or winning people to Christ the rest of your life. And and you think you're going to go to heaven someday. Here's a real dangerous thing. We do this with our family members and friends. We say, oh, man, because I do it with mine. Well, I remember when they walked forward. I remember when they got baptized. I remember when they cried at the front. And all that's great, and that could have been very sincere. May not have been. Here's one way you can tell. Worry about that family member or friend who did that and for the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years have shown no interest in Jesus. Well, you know, I believe once saved, always saved. I do too. Here's the key. If they ever were saved. Part of perseverance of the saints is that true believers don't stay perfect, but they stay true to the end. Does that make sense? Okay, that's part of perseverance of the saints, that the true believer perseveres to the end. By the way, Andrea Phillips helped me with some of my study notes, and anything you disagree with, I'm sure it's Andrea this week, okay? Call Greg Phillips State Farm Insurance tomorrow, anytime during the day, and complain. Here's the second part of this, and that's the once saved, always saved. How many of you have heard this phrase before? Oh, raise your hands. How many of you have heard this phrase before? You've heard, you know, this is a, it's a very common and and, and a very uh, common phrase heard in Baptist churches. Now, for a a Calvinist, it would be natural if, if, and I'm not being sarcastic, but if God saved you and you had no choice in it, he's not going to lose you, is he? No, but. I think I, hopefully I can prove to you in the non-Calvinist view, too, that if God has saved you, even if you had to cross that line with him, that he saved you, saved you. Now, let me say this. I have some really good pastor friends who don't believe once saved, always saved. And so what I've said all along, that I was never, ever trying to be critical of Calvinism. I'm not trying to be critical. I, th- this is just, this is... The facts, a a church of Christ, typical, does not believe that once saved, always saved. Methodism, Methodists typically have not believed that. Pentecostals are assemblies of God. For the most part, and again, I'm characterizing that, these guys who are my pastor friends, they don't believe once saved, always saved. So it's not out there among the realm of weirdos. It's not like if someone doesn't believe this, they're not a Christian. But I want to tell you, this is a pretty stinking important thing to be right on. I mean, it's something that we need to know if it's true or if it's not true. And how do you lose your salvation? Listen, how do you lose your salvation? If you can lose it, I've had people tell me, well, by sin. Here's my question, what sin? How many? I mean, is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 50? By the way, if it's 50, everybody in here is lost. Correct? Because you've sinned 50 times since you were saved. We'll have the baptistry ready tonight, and we will baptize 250, 300 of you tonight. How, how do you lose it? Well, I don't believe you can lose it. But let's, let's look in John chapter 10, verse 27. Great passage. My sheep 
hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Let's leave that there for a minute. My sheep hear my voice. I don't know anything about sheep. I grew up and we had cows and we had chickens. We had cats and we had dogs. Here's what people who know about sheep tell me. That sheep are funny animals. But they, they can hear and discern their master's voice. And when their shepherd calls them, they hear it. They come to it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, some of you are going, I've never heard from God. And it's because you don't belong to God. My sheep hear my voice. Listen, this is part of that perseverance. And, and, the, and the verbiage here is continual. What he's saying is, my sheep continue to hear my voice. I know them. They continue to follow me. That's the important foundation there. Okay? Now look in verse 28. This is where it really gets great. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Let me walk you through this. Eternal means non-ending. Okay? Now, there's eternal death. That's hell, isn't it? It's dying but not dying. The word life here is not talking about biology life. It's talking about a a different quality of life. Here's what Jesus is saying. I give you eternal life. I'm giving you a non-ending quantitative and quality of life when you become my child. I'm giving you that. Isn't that awesome? And when did you get eternal life? Here's what some people believe. Well, I get it when I'm, I'm, I die. No, you got eternal life the moment you got saved. Isn't that great? So I want you to think about that. If you can lose your salvation, you have to lose eternal life that was given to you. But look on to verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will read that with me. Okay, hold on a second. This isn't tithing. This isn't. Obey your parents. This is good stuff. Read that with me. And they will. They will. What that means? They will in no ways. This isn't going to happen. It can't happen. Perish. Be destroyed. God's saying, listen, my sheep, the ones who know me, I know them. I've given you a life that will never end. Quality and quantity. And you will never perish. Did you get that? And no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's Jesus talking. Jesus is saying, look, dudes, dudettes, when you got saved, when you got saved, you became my sheep. I gave you eternal life. And the devil himself can't pull you out of my hand. Listen, when Jesus has got a hold of you, that's a pretty good grip, isn't it? But it doesn't end there. Look in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I love this concept here. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you don't believe me, do you? You don't believe me. It's too good to be true. He said, I've got you. He said, not only do I have you, but the Father has you too. Listen, I'm not the incredible Hulk. But if I had a dime in my hand and I was holding it tight, it'd be hard to get it out of my hand. And then if I put both hands, it'd be harder. Think about this. If Jesus has got a hold of you and God's got a hold of you, you're not going anywhere, are you? Isn't that great? No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one's going to snatch you out of my hand. No one's going to snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then look in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Wow. I had a shepherd tell me one time, sheep are dumb, they're weak. 
if a, if, a, if a sheep gets a quarter of a mile away from the shepherd and the flock, it's easy prey. Because the sheep can't outsmart, it can't outrun, uh, it can't outfight a wolf or a coyote. It's dead. The sheep's only security is when it is with the what? The shepherd. On your own, you could slip out of God's hand. On your own, the devil would tear us apart, wouldn't he? But you're not on your own. The father's got you. The son's got you. Listen, when you've got these two shepherds taking care of you, you're pretty secure, aren't you? Okay, I'm not sure you're convinced or you're full or whatever, but I'm going to try to convince you a little more. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Boy, these are powerhouse verses too. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Now listen, that's a great verse talking about how you're saved. It doesn't say that God just randomly chose you. It said you heard the gospel and you believed the gospel. You heard it when it was preached and you believed it. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, folks, this is a gigantic concept here. The seal, it could have been someone important's ring or it literally could have been like a stamp. It, it, it was something they put a, a, in either in wax or on a piece of paper. They put their mark on something. They authorized it with it. And, and when something was sealed by someone, it, it was guaranteeing a couple things. One, that it was authentic. It was guaranteeing that uh, it was sent from the person that it was sent to. And that when you got it, that seal was supposed to be there. It was a mark of security. In Jerusalem last month, let me show you what they found. This is incredible. It's, it's really hard, even looking up close, to make out some of that writing. That's, it's about a half an inch in, in real world. That is a seal they found in the old city of Jerusalem that is King Hezekiah's seal from around 700, 750 B.C. Is that not incredible? Not only does it authenticate the Old Testament, but it, it gives us an idea. That's the king's seal. And, they, you know, they said to find something like this is just absolutely incredible. And so here's a picture. One, it, it secured something, okay? When the seal was on it, it, it meant that it was going to get to where it was supposed to go safely. 1982, Rosetta, you'll remember this, in Chicago. How many of you remember when Tylenol, uh, some Tylenol got poisoned? Uh, a, a weirdo got into stores. He bought Tylenol. He took it home. He broke the capsules open and put poison. And people died. And after that happened is when they really began to put these plastic safety seals on there. Those seals are, are for our protection, aren't they? Listen, he's saying, when you got saved, God put the Holy Spirit in you. He sealed you to get you to where you're supposed to be someday. The seal was also God's putting his stamp on your heart with the Holy Spirit saying that you belong to God. Isn't that cool? And it was saying who the owner is. Listen, the Holy Spirit's sealing you. You may not can see it, but I can tell you the devil sees it. And that seal says that you belong to God. Isn't that great? But again, if that's not enough, in verse, verse 14, it's even great too. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory? Leave that there, Brian. The word guarantee 
means a deposit. It was like an engagement ring in this day. Now, you, you give someone an engagement ring, you're saying, I'm going to marry you someday, right? It could be 20 years from now. It could be 20 hours. But we're getting engaged. That's a promissory note. Guarantee was a promissory note. It was a deposit. When you got ready to, even us today, when we want to do something, we don't have all the money, they want a deposit, which is saying, hey, we're putting this down, promising you we're going to come through with it. Now, Sometimes we don't carry through with our deposits or we don't carry through with our engagements. God does. And what that guarantee is saying is saying, listen, when you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. Hear this, please. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not saved. Just write this down. Romans 8, 9. Look it up when you get home. Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9, I'm paraphrasing, says you don't have the spirit of Christ. You don't belong to Christ. I understand where people are coming from when they say, well, I got saved and two years later got the spirit. I know what they're saying, but that's factually incorrect. You don't have the spirit. You're not saved. And so when you got saved, if you got saved, God put the Holy Spirit in your heart as a promissory note, as a guarantee of saying, look, I've saved you, and I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to take you on to heaven someday. See, salvation is threefold. It happened in the past. You were saved. It's happening in the present. You are being saved. And someday when we walk into heaven, we will be saved. And so what God said, when you got saved... Can you lose your salvation? I believe you absolutely cannot because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, stamped by God. And God put that Spirit in there as a guaranteeing, saying, Look, if you truly belong to me, someday, because I put my Spirit in you, I'm guaranteeing you're going to walk into heaven with a smile on your face. Isn't that great? Man, that's good. Once saved, always saved. The Father's got you. The Son's got you. The Spirit's been put in you to stamp you, to seal you, and as a deposit of a guaranteed what's coming. Isn't that wonderful? Here's, what I, here's a qualifier I would give you tonight. When you hear the phrase, once saved, always saved, buy into it with this clause, if ever saved. That goes back to the first part of the perseverance. Once saved, always saved, if truly saved. So that's the first question I would ask you tonight as we wrap it up. Have you been saved? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? If he does not, before we leave this room tonight, you come and you give your life to Jesus. You're here tonight, maybe you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. You can join after church or when we stand in a moment. You can slip out and come and join us. We'd love for you to do that. Maybe tonight as a Christian, let me give you two thoughts as a Christian. One, rejoice in the fact that you have security in Jesus. Because let me tell you something, that's the only place you got real security. Rejoice in that. This is good. This is not bad medicine. This is good medicine. But I also want to challenge you too, as you examine your family members and friends, not in a judgmental way, but in a discerning way, maybe your prayers need to be different. Maybe your conversations need to be different. 
Instead of saying, well, I believe one soul is saved, maybe they haven't been saved. And that ought to up and change your prayers and your conversations. Christian, maybe tonight you want to come and pray with the minister or at the altar. But let's stand. As God leads you, we'll be waiting on you. You respond to him tonight.